You found it. It's the Japanwa podcast coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo, the armpit of Asia. It's Shinjuku, Shinjuku-ku, in the Toshi Hisa studio. I am Matt Bigelow, your host. MatthewPMBigelow.com is where you can go to find pictures, links, evidence, and more to the claims that we make here on this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We uh, have a bunch of new gear set up here, and uh, hopefully it goes well. If not... It'll be me reaching into the plugins of the software recording equipment I got going on here and doing a bunch of troubleshooting with my time. How are you doing today? I am having what you are having. Ah, delicious. Again, dear listener, you have fantastic taste. Um, Cherry Blossom is in full swing at the moment. We just had a, a lead up of super warm weather, sunny every day, 20 degrees, 18 degrees Celsius. Everybody's got their, their, their jackets off and their cameras out and we're all enjoying the, the lead up to the, the peak. And then just as soon as the peak of Sakura season hits, rain for three or four days straight. That's why I say get rid of March, the Ides of March. Uh, Julius Caesar was backstabbed by his loyal companions in the Ides of March when the forests moved, according to Mr. Shakespeare, Bill. Um, And as we know in the Japanese context of things, the forest moving means the sakura blossoms opening. And the backstabbing is the March weather that always sweeps in like an old son of a gun makes a big mess out of everyone's plans, and uh, you end up spending three or four days inside with a kid or a couple of kids and a, and a pregnant woman kind of going, all right, this is like one of those really long international flights. Hopefully we get through this okay. You just got to uh, keep the activities flowing and the naps stabilized. Uh, we're going to begin the podcast here in earnest. We have a lot of things to do today, too much, in fact. Um, we're going to begin, as we usually do, with a new product. Um, this isn't really, it's like, this is, um, as we as we know, products, things you buy in shops. But now that we live in this digital age, we have products as a service, P-A-A-S, infrastructure as a service, software as a service, all of these things as a service. And they're products, essentially. Somebody's making them to be sold. Uh, this comes to us from the beloved uh, Sora News 24. Um, and I just wanted to let the people know who are maybe not millennials or uh, who are not familiar with over-the-horizon uh, tomfoolery that is going to be pushed on all of us forever and ever and ever because real people in the advertisement industry, the models have too many problems. And if we can just make them virtual, then we don't have to worry about social media blowback in the future. Let's begin. Virtual YouTubers in our world. Giant signs at Tokyo stations show hollow live talent and human fans. <laughs> Uh, so this is a picture. It'll be posted at MatthewPMBigelow.com. Uh, Gaur Gura and other Hololive stars now appearing in Shibuya and Shinjuku Station artwork. The unique appeal. This is me hate reading. I hate Sora News 24. 
but we can't stop reading them on this podcast. The unique appeal of virtual YouTubers comes from how they straddle the line between reality and fiction. Their appearance and backstories may be made up, but each performer has a real perverse person providing their voice and mannerisms, a combination that doesn't really exist in the rest of entertainment media. Really? What about animation? So it's fitting that VTuber talent agency, Hololive Productions' giant signs and posters that recently went up in Tokyo highlight that mix of the real and the virtual, showing Hololive talent interacting with human fans in the real world. The signs went up Monday with the largest, this is last Monday, with the largest placed outside Shibuya Station next to the Hachiko Plaza, showing Gaoru Gura sitting on a train next to a fan. The Hololive crew is also waiting in the metro promenade that connects Shinjuku and Shinjuku Sanchomi stations. In addition to Gaoru Gura, the corridor now features posters of Inugami Korone bringing a coffee to a late working office worker. Um, we're going to leave it there. There's going to be a whole bunch of pictures and all this stuff, but uh, I think this has to do with the amount of tourists that are um, coming in back into Tokyo and how many of like the the younger people, just the younger people, I'm in my 40s, early 40s, the right side of 40, how many of these, uh, you know, Zoomers and, and, and younger millennials maybe just want to experience everything through through their phones or... I don't, there's like a, I don't watch TV. So when I see like these virtual talent people on TV and everybody interacting with them, I kind of go, this feels like, like a bad version of Lord of the Rings with the, the guy that my precious guy, uh, back in the early two thousands, it just feels like a, a watered down version of that. And there we go. So we have the, the hollow interacting with the real via advertisement boards. And that is what we call beyond millennialism here on the podcast. Let's get into it for real. Now, we're recording this on March 27th. And as we know, March is the Ides of March. And there's a potential banking crisis that's going to be going on Um the you know a few months ago there was the um, FTX crypto collapse then the SoftBank not the SoftBank Vision Fund that's that's why I used to work at SoftBank and monitored that fund for the classes I used to teach not it's like I was not an official SoftBank Vision Fund person at all it's like a fly on the wall position so but anyways the Silicon Valley Bank and then um, some other banks are in trouble. And then over, over the weekend, uh, Credit Suisse, before the weekend, Credit Suisse was nationalized or something. Like, it's hard to tell because every all the news is just like TikTok, 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 Trump, 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 Trump. So to get any actual detailed information about this, it's not exactly easy. I think, I think there's a cover-up going on, to be honest, that whether it, it works or not, or they, the powers that be, the financial gurus of the world managed to pull this off has yet to be seen. Uh, but what we can do, it's Monday here in Tokyo, but Tokyo's ahead of the world in, in, in terms of the international clock. So it usually takes until late Monday, early Tuesday in Tokyo time for the rest of the markets to get fired up and then, you know, the after effects of whatever that, whatever has been happening, you know, it takes a couple of uh, hours to then 
flow, the information data flows based on the monetary, what have you. Uh, it, it takes some time to get back into Tokyo. It's like it's like splashing on one side of the bathtub and then the, the little wave hits the other side of the bathtub and then comes back to the, the splash part. And then the little ripples kind of hit each other. Much different than a pond where, you know, the ripples just kind of go as far as they can. And then you get bored and walk away. With the bathtub analogy, it feels more like uh, more appropriate because we have actions and repercussions within a contained space in a data field, which is liquidity, and that means water, right? Not bad, not bad at all. There is a, we're going to take a look at two um, historical uh, examples of potential uh, banking, what have yous, not good, by the way, not good. Um, One comes to us from a crypto investor and a guy who wrote the book, The Network State. Uh, He's a big AI crypto network network dude, one of these kind of post-nationalist guys in a way. His name is, um, I can't remember how to say it right, but Balaji. Um, He's like this investor guy. He's been on a lot of podcasts and I recommend listening to him. He has a very interesting take on the potential usages of uh, blockchain technologies or network technologies in the future to align people of like-mindedness um, to, you know, enact their own futures. I don't mind these ideas. So he says in this tweet, and the tweets get long now, so we just try to cut this short. Let's level set, shall we? On March 10th, a bank with $200 billion in assets went to zero overnight. Since then, we've seen the following things happen. Emergency Sunday Fed print for domestic banks. $2 trillion estimate of amount to be printed. $18 trillion estimate of amount to back all deposits. 186 banks reported similarly insolvent. $500 billion wired from banks seeking safe havens. $150 billion in discount window, more than 2008, which was the crisis. The reason I bring this up, it's the Japan Web podcast, is because uh, the Bank of Japan is, and, you know, major Japanese corporations are very much linked into the global economy. Um, Japan is an export-import country, uh, and it ranks highly in terms of the G7, you know, in its history and, and everything like that, its commitments. That's why I'm bringing it up. And during the 2008 financial crisis, I was in Japan and I saw a lot of lives get ruined, um, destroyed overnight. They got back together, but it's, it's quite a thing to just screw around with people this way. Moving on, $400 billion printed in days, reversing most quantitative tightening, the opposite of QE, easing. Emergency Sunday Fed print for foreign banks. Joint Sunday statement, U.S. banks are resilient, Five dead banks, including too big to fail Credit Suisse. Rumbles around Dutch Bank, Deutsche Bank, sorry. Rumbles around Charles Schwab. Emergency Friday meeting of Yellen and the FSOC. Another statement that the U.S. banks are resilient. Statement, further actions may be necessary. And then Balaji continues. All this comes against a backdrop of article and charts from the Fed and FDIC talking in coded language about how many U.S. banks are insolvent due to $620 billion plus in unrealized losses caused by the Fed's surprise rate hikes. As we know, we're told that Putin invaded 
um, Ukraine, and then the West responded with all these sanctions. And then because of Putin, everything is more expensive. Now we have out-of-control interest rates. None of this makes sense to me. I don't believe it at all. And so the U.S. Fed responded with rate hikes, and then everybody else responded with rate hikes because of Putin, remember? Although they don't say that anymore, do they? Despite this growing concern, the banking crisis seems to not have broken out of financial news. Arguably, it is intentionally being downplayed outside of the space where it can't be ignored. For example, I haven't seen too many White House tweets on the banking crisis, but I have seen them meeting Ted Lasso. Perhaps they simply don't want to panic anyone by telling them their bank may have a problem. But let's be clear. This is a Western banking crisis. This is not normal. This isn't anyone's hallucination, and reporting on it isn't the same as causing it. And then he goes on to cite it below. I'll be linking this onto the podcast website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. So for me, why I'm kind of concerned about it, why I'm jumping into it right now, is why not report on it a little bit more? Um, instead of just one-liners, this is resilient. Uh, there's this idea of Michael Yawn, a security analyst and expert, um, boots-on-the-ground type of guy, the dog king, where people are put into positions of power to demoralize us. And I believe a lot of the positions right now, um, and, you know, Ted Ross at the WHO is a dog king. He was a, he was a communist you know, revolutionary from Ethiopia, not even a real super doctor, which should be the head of the WHO, who loves China and, uh, yeah, covered up cholera outbreaks and all this stuff. Crazy guy, dog king. Um, Justin Trudeau, dog king. Uh, Janet Yellen, I've tried to listen to her talk about stuff. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Possible dog queen. It and, You know, dog can, that sounds like dehumanizing, but it just means... Somebody puts a, 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 a person in charge who doesn't belong there, and then we're all supposed to obey that authority as if that authority is worthwhile or granted, where, where it's not. It's a, it's a demoralizing tactic. Is that what's going on here? Right ahead of the crackdown on cryptocurrencies in anticipation of massive rollouts of central bank digital currencies. Is that what we're seeing here? I don't know. Is that why Russia and China are now making moves? You know, once once we get into the whole banking wars type of thing, we're on an entirely different echelon, aren't we? We're not just talking about wheat in the Donbass. We're talking about global infrastructure, monetary policies uh, affecting us all. Now, that was one person from uh, Balaji on YouTube, and he, he's... He's a smart cookie. You might want to pay attention to some of his ideas. I don't necessarily agree with everything. I like to just throw that out there because I'm not some sycophant. But, I, you know, he, he'll, he'll put some ideas in your head and you're like, oh, that does make a little bit more sense than just living in the past, you know? Delicious, listener. Great taste. Now, I found this one as well. This comes to us from a few days ago. Again, this is kind of a ramble, a pre-ramble lead up of things that can't change. So one thing with a whole bunch of this speculation type of stuff, it could all be fine and it could have just all go, oh, we found the solution. It didn't turn out to be quite the thing that we thought it was going to be, especially these days on social media where everything is called, you know, just panic, panic, panic. That's why this podcast episode is called, don't worry, panic, 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 
because that's what social media makes us do. But um, this comes to us from a the Kenya prime minister, the Kenya president, um, Mr. Ruto. He speaks on dollar shortage and promises to protect businesses amid opposition protests. So we'll just take a look at a, about a minute of his speech uh, right now. Uh, for the people who work numbers, I am giving you free advice that those of you who are holding dollars, you surely might go into losses. You better, you better uh, do what you must do because uh, this market is going to be different in a couple of weeks. And uh, secondly, uh, we, through the central bank, we are having conversations to reinstate the interbank exchange uh, market that has since uh, not worked. And I am happy that the players in that sector, including our banks, are coming forward and they are participating and uh, they are working with the central bank so that we can again uh, take charge of our market and that it is not allowed to be distorted by uh, brokers. I'm told the only place where brokers are accepted is at the exchange. <laughs> Anywhere else, they are banned. Uh, and so I just want to assure uh, those uh, in Kenya who uh, were facing uh, challenges of access to dollars that we have taken uh, steps to ensure that uh, dollar availability in the next couple of weeks is going to be very different because our fuel companies and uh, will now be paying for fuel in Kenya shillings. They do not have to look for dollars every month because we have uh, done what we must do as government to ensure that we ease the burden on people who want to um, uh, uh, realize their returns in dollars, and uh, I was being told by the chairman of NSC, so Mr. Chairman, you have nothing to worry about. We have taken adequate steps to make sure that uh, that is sorted. So that's the Kenya president talking about alternative payments instead of dollars for oil. Um, just, just these preambles that are showing up in the energy financial sectors. Uh, are, are these cracks? They could be. Um, that's what I wanted to kick this off in. And what does it mean for for Japan, um, us in Japan with all of this stuff? It's really hard to escape this if you're in Japan. Um, even getting involved in crypto is not so easy. It, you know, once you figure out how, yeah, it, it is. Um, but the on-ramping, the off-ramping, the access to international crypto markets in Japan, um, not exactly for the novice, for the, for the person who, for example, downloads the Facebook app and starts uploading their pictures. Uh, the access to crypto in Japan maybe is not that easy. Um, you have to have the right banks, the right credit cards, the on-ramps and the off-ramps. Uh, I could... I know people who are involved in the market here, but it, it's it, it's not it's not exactly easy to get out of the yen that is attached to the dollar. It's almost impossible. So I'm not sure what it all means, but 
My, I know some people who are like saying, now is a good time to invest in stocks. I'm like, I don't know. I just look at this and go, not good. Uh, we are in this avalanche together. Um, and I'm not sure what the Japanese government can do, if anything. Let's move on to a different topic. Uh, we got a lot of topics today. Uh, let's take a look at this one. Stupid Gaijin of the Week. Ah, I should play the clip. Stupid Gaijin of the Week. Stupid Gaijin, S-G-O-T-W. Now, ever since um, a lot of uh, these websites that reported on Gaijin activity went under in the pandemic, it's taken a lot of hard work for me to find Stupid Gaijin of the Week. Um, this comes to us a little bit late. We had the, the Tokyo Marathon a couple of weeks ago, but I just found this article in runningmagazine.ca, the Canadian version. Um, and this one is Tokyo Residents Outraged After Marathon Runners Urinate in Sacred Park. As all runners know... When you gotta go, you gotta go. But a recent video posted on the social media app TikTok has residents of Tokyo up in arms after a group of marathon runners were seen urinating in a public sacred garden at Shinjuku Chuo Park during the 2023 Mar uh, Tokyo Marathon. Uh, in the video, you can see race officials waving to the runners to tell them to stop urinating in the gardens, but it clearly did not work. Residents of Tokyo were bothered by the behavior and condemned the runners on social media, also putting the race organizers in question. The Tokyo Marathon organizers commented that they had noticed the matter and pointed out that there were 1,114 portable toilets set up for this year's event distributed from start to finish. The race also issued an apology, saying that they would try to prevent such things from happening in the future. The incident occurred at the start line in front of the Tokyo Metropolitan Government Building, where a group of 20-plus runners were seen urinating on the hedges of Shinjukuchuo Park and throwing their discarded clothing in the bushes. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, you can pee a lot of places in uh, Tokyo, but, you know, you have to be a little conspicuous about it. You can't just you can't just line up on a bush outside of a government building at a, and start peeing everywhere. What are they, what a bunch of disgusting stupid gaijins of the week. Stupid gaijin of the week. Stupid gaijin SGOTW. Thank you Running Magazine Canada for that that awesome one. We're going to take a look at um, some Japan in Japan before we get out of Japan into the, the larger world here. Uh, this one comes to us. It's This is a very strange political party. And for this one, I want to ask you, the listeners, do you think these people are high or not high? High. Or not high. When I was working in the mainstream media, uh, we focused a lot on mainstream Japanese politics, um, even if it wasn't that important. It would be like the prime minister meets with so-and-so to discuss possible tax reductions for northern companies growing 
uh, soy uh, with GMO in winter. Like, and then it would be like two weeks later, they decided it was not going to happen. Something like that. So you're very familiar with the mainstream, like the dailies in and outs of the mainstream political parties in Japan. And a lot of the mainstream English news in Japan just exists to make them look good, make them look competent. They might focus on like a gaffe here and there or a story here and there. But by and large, these um, these newspapers are very much pro one party or the other. And it's evident if you ever work there. But one thing that I never really came across was the the porno politician. Um, <laughs> this is so strange. This is the porno politician. This comes to us from the Seijo 48 party leader, um, Yoshikawa, apologizes for working at a brothel while serving in the self-defense forces. So who is the Seijo 48 party? party in japan there's a whole bunch of parties you know it's a it's a full-on democracy here in japan and therefore you get all sorts of lunatic fringe people who want to make a a, their mark in the world uh, through politics and i say you know more power to them so the seijo joshi 48 party um the seijika which means politician i guess seijika joshi yonju hachito political women's party abbreviated to the Seiji Kajoshi, is also known as the Anti-NHK Party, the the BBC of Japan, is a populist and right-wing political party in Japan founded in 2013 by an ex-NHK worker who wanted to, you know, disclose a bunch of uh, what-have-yous that were going on inside of the party. Um, They... There's, okay, the party mainly exists to counter bad behavior by NHK license fee money collectors, uh, who the party founder says has connections to the Yakuza. Uh, the party issues a special sticker to protect citizens' properties from these collectors and has a call center to help people avoid paying the license fee. While it is required by law to make contact with NHK and pay if one owns a device capable of receiving the NHK signal, the law does not impose any punishment for non-payment of the license fee. Um, so lacking... Uh, here it is. And celebrity YouTuber Yoshikazu, Yoshikazu Higashitani was elected to the House of Counselors in 2022, but was expelled in March 2023, just like today, for not attending any sessions, reportedly due to fear of being arrested if he were to visit Japan. So this is a very strange thing. So we're going to get to the porno politician in a second here, but the, this is the history of their of their names. NHK License Fee Non-Payment Party. The payment to protect people from the old political parties. The party that teaches how not to pay the NHK license fee. The Storm Party. Uh, and then finally, it changed its name from NHK Party to politician girls 48 party it's like what what's going on and i think this might just be a a massive um media campaign uh because they have the the woman who's who is a nurse that starred in not started i mean might be starring in a porno who was also um, working in brothels while being a nurse for the Japanese self-defense forces. 
very, very unusual. So we have this news article about it. Uh, this is machine translated from uh, Yahoo News. And let's just go into this, uh, the main body of the text here. Um, so Miss Yoshikawa, 26, who was planning to run for the Setagaya Ward Assembly election, which is a very rich part of Tokyo, um, from the 48th Party for Politicians, held a, preference, held a press conference in the Diet on the 24th, saying, Since quitting the self-defense forces, I have been in the sex industry. I was doing it, but there was a time when I was doing the self-defense forces, and I was wearing it for about a year. I'm very sorry for lying. <laughs> machine translated. Mrs. Yo- Mr. Uh, Mrs. Yoshikawa, Ms. Yoshikawa, sorry, graduated from the National Defense Medical College and was a former Self-Defense Forces officer and a nurse at the Self-Defense Forces Fukuoka Hospital. <laughs> this is a machine translated, so I'm just going to roll with it. While she is a sexy atri- actress, she also works at a sex shop. Regarding the reason why she worked concurrently with the self-defense forces and the adult entertainment industry, quote, it was to repay the reimbursement uh, system that pays tuition fees for the National Defense Medical College if you leave the self-defense forces within six years. I broke down physically and mentally and searched for a way to quit. I learned about the sex industry while I was there, she explained. She said that side jobs were prohibited and said, if I had found out that I was working for a sex industry while I was working, I'm sure I would have been given very heavy disciplinary action. I knocked on the door of the sex industry. I feel very sorry that I committed such a violation while shouldering the mission of protecting the country and bowed her head. Yoshikawa, who retired from the self-defense forces in March 2022 and decided to run for the 48th Party for Politicians, this is the Joshikai, I've been hiding it until now, but when it comes to politics, I don't want to lie. I'm trying not to become a politician who's lucky. That's what I think. I can't take back the lies I've told so far, but I've decided to tell the truth. She explained. The party secretary general, uh, who was present at the press conference, said, There is no way that uh, she will be punished because of this. It's a political party, so we will give a solid explanation to the voters, and they will still support us, or we won't support them. I want to firmly face the voice that says. (laughs) So it's machine translated. You take that goofy stuff for what it is, but uh, it seems to me that it's obviously a porno actress, a nurse, sex worker running for uh, a political seat and we'll see if it works i mean how many people are going to google this and try to find her her uh her pornos and then uh try to meet her in real life and maybe vote for her it's like yeah i jacked to that that's where i'm voting it's 2023 uh this is translated by um mr jeffu who is a it was like a, uh, a college professor, I think, uh, in Japan, and he has a Twitter account that follows a lot of this stuff. So I could give him like a co-producer credit for some of the stuff I put on the show. And it says, in a tweet earlier today, Yoshikawa thanked the female politician's 48 party for being the party that nominates people from the adult film industry. She is grateful for the sex industry for providing opportunities to make a lot of money to pay off her tuition debt and quit the Japanese self-defense forces. And there we go. So I wanted to ask you guys, do you think this is high or not high? Now that I think about it, is this a political stunt to convince horny men to come out and vote instead of what else is going on in the world? 
high or not high. By the way, I use a lot of that machine language, machine learning, machine translation software because to get a professional translator to do it, takes hours and hours and hours, and then you have to fact check everything, and then you have to put it out the next day or two days later, and by that time, is it old news? Or do you just accept some of the flaws, get the gist, and move on with your day? Um, how important is the quote to you as a person? As someone who's going through their day, how important is that translated quote to you are you like hey wait a minute i demand everything be perfectly translated because we're living in this super fast information world and i want to take my time to know every word that she talked what did she talk about sucking it or not i don't know dirty minds um Let's take a look here at the next topic. We're going to go to the next topic now. Have you thought about donating to the Japan What podcast? Of course not. But why don't you? We need your money. We are poor. We're just poor podcasters with decent gear. You can go via PayPal to paypal.me forward slash Japan WT. That's paypal.me forward slash japan w-u-t or we are also available for boostagrams what are those those are satoshis what are those those are micro bitcoin payments that you can make in podcasting 2.0 compliant apps i'm using the fountain app i'm using the podverse app and i've been getting some donations recently although not in the past week which means we need some funding Fund the Japanese independent media in English that is not tied to the corporate interests. At Japan What Podcast, MatthewPMBigelow.com takes you to the website, and you can always donate at paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. Or, like I said, give us a boostagram. Connect an Albi wallet to your Bitcoin wallet. And boost us in the Japan What Universe through the Podcasting 2.0 compliant app infrastructure. Go to podcastingapps.com or just search Fountain App or Podverse app for podcasters and get started and join in. It's not a bad way to do things, to be honest. They also look good as apps and they help us uh, help us go on strong here. Let's take a look at the next topic. The next topic is... This comes to us from the Mainichi Japan. It, it kind of highlights the, the, the declining population. Uh, junior high school on remote Japan Island holds graduation ceremony for only student. A 15-year-old girl uh, who was the only student at her elementary and junior high school on a remote island in this western Japan city thanked her teachers, family, and locals as she graduated alone this spring. Located 15 kilometers off the coast of Kagawa Prefecture in western Japan, 
It's like uh, near Osaka, uh, Shikoku area. The island of Oteshima is a part of the city of Marugame in the same prefecture. It has an area of 0. point square kilometers and a coastline of about 3.8 kilometers and was home to 34 people as of March 1st. Through, though fishing is the main industry, the island faces an aging population and Akino Imanaka is the only resident under the age of 18. Reflecting on her past nine years in school, she said, It all happened so fast. I'm just so grateful that I was able to enjoy my school life thanks to the support of my teachers, my family, and the people of the island. <laughs> Very nice Japanese students, aren't they? Um, it's usually just me, so there are times when I feel lonely. But I got to serve as the student body president and visit a lot of places as the school representative, so it was a good experience. The fifty-eight school, the fifty-eight-year-old school principal praised Ibanaka, saying she is kind and sincere. She worked hard in her studies and showed amazing growth over the past three years. Uh, and the school was brand established in nineteen fourteen, and at its peak in nineteen sixty-four, there were ninety-one students. So. Yeah, this is indicative of the overall effects of a declining population. These are the fringes that kind of begin to collapse first. I've been to the Tohoku area, and you walk through some of the smaller, medium-sized towns there, and you can see a lot of empty houses, a lot of just elderly people caring for the extreme elderly, like 65-year-olds caring for 95-year-olds. And what are they going to be in 10, 15 years? You know, where, where's that going to go? Nowhere good. And so that's just kind of a funny story. The only school. And she's, she's all right. Good luck to her. Uh, she'll, she'll be a great podcast guest in the future. So you were the only student that graduated? Why don't you tell us about it? Yes, I was the only student who graduated. Oh, we're on a podcast. Uh, all right, let's take a look at the next story. Die for the war, everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war, die for the war. That's that's my working war jingle. Uh, I didn't think they'd be just like they're the crickets that I sometimes cover. We also cover war now. I don't know why, but that's just where things go. This is a big thing. Last week, uh, Prime Minister of Japan, Kishida, went to Ukraine on a little secret mission and uh, gave Zelensky a kind of a gift. <clears throat> There's a bunch of controversy around it. Should he have given the gift? Should he not? It said certain victory on this kind of device or this rice cooker scraper, I think. I'm, I can't really remember. I didn't really care that much about it. Um, and then, uh, of course, there's the pledges. We will help rebuild. We will help rebuild the Ukraine. The Ukraine, Donbass area, Japan. Japan will help with the nuclear power plants, maybe, if you ask us, which they did. So we're going to have to consider it. And, of course, everything Ukraine is great. But then there was also the meeting between Xi and Putin. And just like with that... Um, Kenyan president that was saying alternative payments for oil in dollars. Xi and Putin are now pledging a lot of uh, non-dollar payment negotiations. I, I believe that Putin has decided that they will deal with the lot of the global south through yuan instead of dollars. Uh, so you now there's a lot of stupid Twitter takes about this, and Gaijin Twitter is really disappointing in all this because it's like. Um, It'll show Xi 
uh, from China and Putin from Russia shaking hands and being like, hey, we got this thing going on. And then the the tweets are like, oh, the right wing loves a good strong man. <laughs> good thing we got Zelensky, the defender of freedom. And it's like, just gameplay this, you know. China is now probably the biggest economy in the world. And Russia has just as much oil or as much resources as Canada does. It's a similar geography, that top part of the world there. Um, except Canada's decided to not do energy extraction because it's too damaging to their green agenda. Putin is saying, no, 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 we're, that's what we're doing. So all across Russia, it's like expansion, expansion, expansion into energy extraction. Provide that through China to the global south. China with its one belt, one road policy and its preferential treatment that it's now getting across the world. COVID shut down a lot of the trade routes between China and America. Um, and of course, America gets a lot of its goods in from China and a lot of European manufacturers manufacture in China. What I think is going on is um, this is the actual take that we should be considering. Is China going to cut out the middleman of Europe, meaning all of its BMW kind of a stuff, you know, incorporate the lessons it's learned from manufacturing in China into its own domestically uh, created companies with a lot of the infrastructure in telecommunications via Huawei and 5G, put that into their own cars, use Russian energy to power that construction, and um, then sell that to the global south at one-eighth or one-twelfth the cost compared to European cars or Ford or wherever else is being manufactured. It's going to undercut everything that the West is relying on. But the West has been saying for years now, we want to get out of energy completely because it's dirty and we're going to just, we're going to transition into clean hydrogen and we're going to transition into wind and solar. Well, good luck establishing an international marketplace based on trade with those concepts they're not even very well fleshed out involved now i'm somebody who says i I hate green i hate windmills they're dumb Uh, but i really support solar panels just put them on all the buildings and subsidize the people who do it and sell your excess solar back into the system and make some profits off of it you know monetize the grid uh, where you can based on the real estate that you're not even using on the top of your house makes nothing but sense but, you know, giant, huge solar farms right next to deserts or tornado zones, good luck keeping that in place or on top of lakes when a storm comes and it destroys all those solar panels and sends them to the bottom of the lake. What type of pollution issues are you going to be dealing with? So we have things like uh, oil uh, pipeline leaks and, and explosions and stuff like that. But just because it's a solar panel doesn't mean it's just automatically green. I mean, you put 10,000 solar panels in and around a lake on top of a mountain or something like that, and you get some national uh, na- natural disasters come through, and it just spreads all of those metals and plastics throughout an entire surrounding ecosystem reliant on agriculture. Are you going to be really happy that the, the, the city council voted for all those solar panels? Probably not. So there's a whole bunch of risk involved. But what the what 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 there's the wrong take that I think is like um oh yeah Xi Jinping and Putin oh big strong guys you right wingers think that's a threat it's like no 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 you have two major economic hubs making decisions at the very top 
to divest away from the quote unquote international world order and create their own. And that's what they're doing. And then you try to raise those issues and they're like, mm, the left is like, strong man. No, no, no. You're missing the point. You're missing the point completely. I'm not even here as a right wing dude. Uh, I'm here as like this centrist. And you're like, no, you're just a right wing dude. Cause, cause you don't go to trans rallies and you're like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Focused, like, no, I don't want to focus. I'm too high on my meds. And that is what's going on in the West right now. It's completely lost in the doldrums, spinning around in circles, high on its own supply. And I think a lot of the world sees that and says, we don't want our future attached to where you're going. We think you kind of suck now. And the benefits that you were providing us after the colonialism are dwindling, according to you. You don't want to do this anymore. So we're going to have to find alternative methodologies and methods out there to ensure our own uh, survival. Because it's not like we're sitting in Kenya or in a lot of like Cambodia, they're not sitting on giant amount, giant amounts of riches like people in Liechtenstein are or were before the migration crisis happened. They really got to consider things on a very practical level. And there's one thing that you can say right now about the West: it ain't practical. Um, so that's my rant about that. But it gets even uh, deeper into it. I tried covering this the other day, but it was not exactly easy. But I found a better article to cover it. This comes to us from the Nikkei in the, this is another thing where um, a lot of internet commentators will see like, hey, why are these major news organizations using the words new world order? Doesn't that know it's going to trigger the conspiracy theorists? And then like somebody like me who was used to kind of be conspiracy theorist for fun, but has since long given it up, will be like, hey, I remember this New World Order stuff being a conspiracy. But I go past the Nikkei building um, in Tokyo quite often, and it's a giant skyscraper in the center of the Maranochi area, or kind of on the edge, right next to the Keidanren building, the business lobby superpower group of Japan. These people are not jokers and they are not allowed to just print willy nilly like a blogger does, which is what most um, bloggers think they are. They think that they are the same as the Nikkei because they get good web traffic. No, 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 no. You're just a blogger who gets good web traffic. The Nikkei is an influencer uh, center that, you know, rolls out the wishes of the power elites. So this comes to us from the Nikkei, uh, this comes to us a couple of weeks ago, but it says Trilateral Commission calls 2023 year one of New World Order. The Trilateral Commission was like a Rockefeller established thing to bring various economies of the world together and alignment and it's super secretive but then you have people like Anthony Blinken the secretary of state is a member it's a who's who it's like the it's like the the people that go to Davos are the same people that go to the trilateral commission events but the Davos is public facing the 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 trilateral commission used to be very shadowed but now they're like I said just from the Nikkei English website pulling into the forefront a little bit more, but it's there's other groups out there like the Club of Rome and uh, the, the Center of the Council of Foreign Relations. They're coming a little bit more out too into the public sphere. I don't know why, but this comes to us from New Delhi. 
Um, as retired foreign ministers, ambassadors, CEO, bankers, and academics gathered at the Secretive Trilateral Commission's first global plenary meeting in India, perhaps the most influential individuals sat quietly off to the side, listening. James Baker, the director of the Pentagon's Office of Net Assessment, was not even on the list of participants at the Taj Palace Hotel in New Delhi, but his takeaways from the meeting could find their way into policies that shape the world. Baker is the successor to legendary uh, defense strategist Andrew Marshall, who headed the office for 42 years. He is responsible for providing the security of defense with an assessment of U.S. military capabilities relative to other actors 20 to 30 years down the road. One particular speech may have caught Baker's attention, for it captured the essence of the three-day discussion held from Friday through Sunday. Quote, The Biden administration is trying to convince the world that there is this titanic struggle between autocracies and democracies. I am skeptical about that, the speaker said. Instead, the world is fragmented with countries, including the U.S., looking out for their own self-interests. You know, the person cannot be identified because it's the trilateral commission rules. Three decades of globalization uh, has been replaced by what could be called a multi-decade period of globalization defined as fragmented, not free market-based, but industry policy-based and structurally inflationary. This year, 2023, is year one of the new global order. (laughs) Quote, unquote. Nikkei English website. Um, In such a world, middle powers like India, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey will carve their own paths, weighing the economic, strategic, and defense interests, the speaker said. Um, Doesn't really mention much about Japan, does it? Let me just try to find Japan in this for the context of the Japan Web Podcast, MatthewPNBigelow.com. Nope, does not mention really Japan at all, except in a historical context. Another hot topic at the Trilateral Commission was artificial intelligence. Um, A poll last year found that 49% of AI researchers have said that AI poses an existential threat to humanity, almost to the level of a nuclear type of disaster in the scale of humanity. Many in the room call for a global regulatory scheme to govern AI, govern AI, govern crypto, and then roll out the CBDCs to govern us all. That's really what's going on. Still, participants were generally positive about the wildly popular chat GPT and later jokingly asked the bot to write a poem about the Trilateral Commission. So this is the bot's poem about the Trilateral Commission, written by AI. Quote, In secret meetings you plan and conspire to create a new order of which you aspire. Your goals are unclear, but some see the end. As a world government with you as its friend. So that's the AI writing about world government in the Trilateral Commission uh, goals. Very, very surreal. How does that uh, connect to what we were talking about before? Kishida, Japan and the world. Well, um, as we can see that in this uh, one in India... Uh, these countries like are looking to carve their own paths and it doesn't seem like they're a whole ballsy like hey we're gonna go deep with america on this one guys america's the way forward they're all kind of going no america is not the way forward we're gonna carve our own path but japan isn't doing that japan is so locked into um as a kind of underling of the United States. It has all those military bases here. It's tied to the G7. Uh, Historically speaking, it faces 
diplomatically the West and not diplomatically uh, Asia and China for, you know, the whole war reasons and all that. And a lot of Japanese people just prefer to operate within the the Western diplomat uh, infrastructure, infrastructure, the interface with, with Western diplomacy rather than Asian diplomacy. That's just the way that things get done in Japan. Uh, you know, with most other companies, companies, countries in Japan, it's through trade, through networking and trade, goods and exchanges and shipping rates and things like that. So Japan has this major struggle ahead of itself where the population is dwindling. So how can they build up a military with a dwindling population? All of the Japanese major corporations are saying, we don't have enough people to make our own markets in Japan. We have to develop markets outside of Japan. So why would young people who are currently developing products for those outside of Japan, not even for themselves or for younger generations of Japanese people, decide to build up a Japanese military to go fight on behalf of America so that Taiwan remains a democracy? Like, um, there's a lot of people saying that with Japan committing itself into Ukraine or in, in those areas, it, it means that the United States shouldn't focus on Taiwan and Japan because there's so much of the resources in Japan being allocated to Ukraine, not really, but that's just the argument, that why should America support an Asia initiative? So it kind of means if Japan starts to um, not just plan to commit more, but definitely does start committing more in the Asian sphere, diplomatically, uh, militarily, then maybe America can help it a little bit. Like this is like this carrot and stick type of thing, but happening, but looking at the the past and how many um, older people kind of still control this country, it is a genocracy or whatever it's called, where old people rule everything over here. There's no way, there's no feasible way for Japan to um, come out of this ahead, which is my suspicion. This is my, now I'm kind of thinking about this. Japan is going to become a super, super secular country. So I, I, I fumbled my own, own words there. Japan is going to become a super secular country that interfaces through the world with very specific products and solutions that it can offer them, but refuses really to take part in a lot of the madness that's going on simply because it just can't. All right, and moving on to the last topic for today will be some AI news to line it up with everything else that's going on with the Trilateral Commission. Remember, don't use Trilateral Commission because the conspiracy theorists will say that it's real, even though you're using it and the people who are running it are quoting it. You shouldn't use it because I'm still stuck in 1995. And that's going to be it for me today. Thank you for listening. You found it. The Japan War Podcast coming at you from the back end of Tokyo. The Armpit of Asia. MatthewPMBigelow.com I am the king of the ring. <laughs>